Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker and you're listening to episode 39 of the ZappaCast for September of 2018. And here, folks of the world, we have uh, for the first time in a while, and I have really missed these guys, our roundtable panel, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm just going to go, woo! And I'm just going to go around and introduce everybody and we're going to start with the ones you know and love from Chicago, Illinois, young master Scott Fisher. Yay! Hello! And of course, live from London and elsewhere, the man himself, you know him, you do love him, the author of Zappa's Gear and just a truly wonderful and knowledgeable human being. Welcome back to the show, the professor, Mick Eagers. Hey. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. <laughs> and uh, we have two new gentlemen on our discussion panel. And uh, we're we're going to start with um, from way down in Nolens, right? Nolens, yes, sir. Nolens, Louisiana. He's the co-host of a great show called the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, which I strongly recommend that you guys check out because it's a good time, baby. Mr. Ian Wadzilla Wadley. Hey, <laughs> thanks for having me, man. Happy to be here. Of course, of course, and of course. From Los Angeles, a truly fabulous musician. And can I tell him that you're the brother of Billy Sherwood? I'd rather you didn't. No, I'm kidding. Of course <laughs> you did. <laughs> the brother of Billy Sherwood of Yes, ladies and gentlemen, among lots of other things that he's done. A fabulous musician, fabulous keyboardist, and uh, a really wonderful human being. And a longtime listener of the show, Mr. Michael Sherwood. Hey! Thank you very much. So we're here. We got a lot of uh, business to kind of catch up on, but um, I think what we're going to do, because I know a lot of people ask all the time what's going on with the Zappa's gear book, so I'm going to turn the microphone over to Mick Eakers, who's going to tell you right now, Mick, what's going on with uh, Zappa's gear. Okay, I'm I'm going to have to be a, a little bit circumspect, but okay. what what I what I will say is, and I've been saying this for people for five years anyway, but it really is going to happen. We have a deal with the Zappa Family Trust and a major publisher. They have the text. We are working on the photographs and the rights, and there will be announcements in the next month or so. I think can't give you any more information on that. I'm afraid. Well, that's okay. This book has been how long now? How long have you been doing this? I've feel like it's seven years it's seven years ago i first spoke to gail and i said gail i could i do a book about frank's guitars and she said what a great idea just like that and i thought oh, that was easy yeah um, <laughs> and we finished it about five years ago and then there was delays and then gail passed on bless her and then other things and what la 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 but uh, all started again towards the end of last year with uh, armit picking up on it so it's really happening folks i had to send them a photograph of me to put on the back Jacket. You've got to go to Bogner Regis to get your uh, professional ticket. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're um, you know we're we're really delighted that it's coming out, and obviously it's going to be a, a huge book. Everybody's going to want it and need it and fetish it. What else has been going on? Uh, we're getting ready for uh, later. I, gu I guess it's going to be now next year the hologram tour. I believe it's been pushed back to next year. I'm certainly looking forward to that, to see some of the guys coming back here for the first time in a while, playing Frank's music, and, you know, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a good time. And there's 
releases as always coming down the pipeline and um for those of you who haven't gotten them yet the new vinyl reissues of burnt weenie sandwich and chunga's revenge are out and yeah. uh they are freaking gorgeous they're really uh amazing as always the just the attention to detail and the sound quality and everything is just unbelievably good and you'll definitely want to get those folks I'm actually going to do a video uh, at some point about the uh, about the vinyl reissues. I have them all here behind me in the office, so <laughs> they follow me wherever I go. So <laughs> let's see, Mr. Fisher, what you got going on lately? Uh, just been busy with uh, just more tunes, cranking out more more material, and uh, uh, got carried away. I think since we last had our last Epicast with. Uh, Lasers. I've been <laughs> knee deep in in lasers. What'd you do? Oh, just you know, just uh, something to to set aside the show from uh, the other bands on the bill, and just kind of uh, started. I dipped my toes in the water, and then got carried away, and now bringing out different lighting trees and uh, hazers to make uh, the lasers cut through and everything, and then program everything out and starting to get into actual shape building and all these uh crazy things like that my god have you guys been gigging a lot over there we're talking fisher's flicker folks and if you haven't uh picked up on any of their um albums uh tell them where they can find them because it's freaking amazing stuff in fact i'm gonna hook ian up too because he really needs to hear this stuff and and michael too but where can you find the um the albums are they on uh all the digital sources like uh yeah spotify amazon itunes that's right um, they're all on spotify. google play yes Ooh. yeah yeah you're so modern and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah the last album in particular just freaking uh blows me away i have it on cd it's in my car so uh you know i i put that on it's it's really good listening after you're uh coming back from one of my cheesy little bands shows uh wanting to listen to something listen to something i can in a weird way sing along to so there you go and nice. uh <laughs> michael what's been going on with you lately i know you played a solo show out there recently yeah i did i uh Drug myself up on stage and did a solo show. Uh, I had some friends in town, this guy Danny Peck I've been working with for years. And uh, he came into town to do a show, so I decided I would get up there and do my thing. But uh, mostly I'm doing a composition for you know film, TV, that kind of thing that I've been doing for a while. Uh, I just produced a Steve Picaro solo album a while back, co-produced that. Wow. You know, just chipping away, just trying to do my thing. Yeah. I've been uh, kind of uh, knee-deep in just doing... I'm actually working on the next volume of my live tape book series, which is uh, going to deal with the Fall 76 and uh, Spring 77 band. That's the band yeah. with uh, Bianca and Eddie Jobson and uh, Ray. and Very underrated group. Very underrated group. Very underrated group. And, you know, yeah. the, the more that I hear Bianca, the more I'm just completely blown away by how unique among Zappa personalities, not just for the obvious reasons, as a, you know, kind of sure. blues soul singer, but just as a personality and everything, just so um, unique. And she really added so much to 
what was going on on stage. I mean, Frank never had anybody else like her. No, it was like an anomaly. It was unbelievable. Like it's almost you almost you know, pinch yourself. It's like, is this really happening? Who is this person? And they, they seem to have stepped in and stepped out so quickly. You know. Well, sure, yeah, and I I wonder. You know, because I'm almost at the point in the writing of the book where Bianca gets either fired or quit, depending on who you ask. Right. And and, uh, um, I think it was probably, you know, like Bianca says, a combination of both. I think she was kind of done with the Zappa audiences because you can hear, you know, pretty clearly on the uh, audience tapes that um, there were a lot of, you know, take your clothes off kind of calls from the audience, you know, all the uh, way cat through. Calling, yeah. yeah, cat calls all the way through her um, performances of things like you didn't try to call me and all that stuff. I'm sure that, you know, that sure. had to be very difficult for her to deal with. And, you know, as she said, she's a classy lady, so she she just didn't want to deal with stuff like that. And I, right. You know, How many I, times can I apologize? I was excited. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful lady. As long it as you know kept calling George Duke Billy Preston. You yeah. know. <laughs> I was drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, play play nothing from nothing. So <laughs> BD, BD, why are you sing like to me? BD. <laughs> But, Speaking uh, of Billy and George Duke, George Duke's final performance was on a record called The Prog Collective that my brother did, and he's got a solo on there, so that was the last, I think it was the last recording he did, was with my bro. Really? Nice. Did that over yeah. in L.A.? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, depending on your perspective, you know, my brother does a lot of file sharing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say he didn't, you know, it's the, the modern and As, mechanized way of making records. Uh, here's a funny, funny little sidebar on on that. Uh, my brother's doing, the, you know, he was doing one of those tribute records, or I mean, it may have even been the, the uh, this fusion thing he was doing, and he was trying to get off some of the old fusion cats and legendary fusion people together, and he reached out to Benny Maupin from the, uh, you know, the Headhunters, Herbie Hancock. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And and Benny just didn't understand. He goes, I, I he didn't understand the thing because he told my brother. He said, Hey, listen, man, I appreciate the offer, but I can't do it. But here's the number of my sub. Oh my god, really? <laughs> yeah, like we're trying to get names on the record. I don't need your <laughs> don't need your sub. It's such an old school thing. So, so there's no section to go to. No, no, I send you the files. All right, well, you know, use my sub. Yeah. <laughs> Different time. Oh, that's freaking great. Yeah. You know, and I was going to ask you, what was your, you know, since I'm still thinking about the uh, fall 76, spring 77 band, what's your take on Eddie Jobson and Frank? Because you must have heard plenty of... My, my take on that? Yeah. I, well, you know, he kind of appeared and disappeared the same way he did with Yes, when the owner of a Lonely Heart, he was like, he was in that group for two seconds. He's only in the video of mm-hmm. the owner, but... He was in and he was out. I was a huge Jobson fan, from, you know, from the stuff he did with Holdsworth sure. because Holdsworth is one of my heroes and one of one of the guitar players that Frank actually uh, really admired. He, he when when asked, he, he would say Holdsworth's doing things that interest me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I loved that UK group, so I was. Yeah. I was very hip to Jobson at the time, and then I and then they uh, the connection to. Bozio on the second record 
Mm-hmm. So uh, I I loved. He also did one of the SNLs too. I remember seeing him over in the corner there on the. Um, yeah. I think it was, it was the Frank. second time they did SNL. That's right. And one of my favorite tracks of all time is the track Lather, mm-hmm. uh, or I the other not title. To come in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> right, that title. But uh, I just think the synthesizer solo on that tune, and uh, you know the guitar solo for sure, that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite Zappa moments ever. Is just that whole piece. It's just beautiful. You know. Yeah. I spoke to Eddie when he played. Oh, where was it? Oh, yeah, it was in Germany at the uh, Zappanali a few years back. Did you? And he, he had his band on there doing the show, and we interviewed him. And his band was great, and Eddie was a he was a very nice guy, and <laughs> we had a good conversation. Having spoken to him, having seen his band, I can see why it wouldn't work, because basically I think any band that Eddie's in is going to have to be with Eddie as the front man. There's just no way, really. So, sure. Would be a, ba- a backline musician. I, I, I knew he was very young then when he joined. It was a great show, but it's I can't imagine Eddie ever being sort of lasting long in someone else's band playing someone else's music. I'm sure it was really about that. Yeah, I think so. Well, Frank had said that Eddie's priorities were not in order, uh, particularly on that European tour in '77. So I don't think Frank had any real problem with cutting him loose. But you know, Frank had then later declined to discuss it any further and so that was really all all we heard but i want to you know when i get to that part of my book i want to try to make sure that you know i i put that correctly it's interesting to speculate though yeah i think he probably was better off as a front man wand wandzilla what have you been uh up to lately you're uh, cranking out new uh episodes faster than i can have hot dinners <laughs> yeah we do uh you know new episodes each week with my my co-host ralph Vieira, and uh, i do my wadzilla world radio show on saturdays on the internet and we just got back from rock and pod expo 2 yeah and it was it was a huge success uh much bigger than last year next year looks even bigger and i would love to see uh zappacast there man uh, you need to go next year and represent I would love to go, you know. Because you need something. We we have like forty seven Kiss podcasts, yeah, and and, and, and no Zappa podcast, and that's <laughs> that's a shame, you know. Might as well have the Zappa podcast. That that would be amazing. But yeah, that's about it, man. And that keeps me busy. And uh, I I do have some uh, something I really can't talk about, but I'm going to sign some paperwork here soon with the uh, Zappa Family Trust. It's more like a restraining order, but uh, I, got, I, I got a feeling, uh, you know, they're going to warm up to me. You know, you just got to get to know me, you know. Well, yeah. if he didn't get you in Laurel Canyon, he won't get you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's there to live for? Who needs the Peace Corps? Think I'll just drop out. I'll go to Frisco, buy a wig, and sleep on Owsley's floor. Walk past the wig store. Danced at the Fillmore. I'm completely stoned. I'm hippie and I'm trippy. I'm a gypsy on my own. I'll stay a week and get the crabs and take a bus back home. I'm really 
just a phony, but forgive me, cause I'm stoned. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. Go to San Francisco. How I love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you, Frisco. How I love you, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you. Oh, my hair is getting good in the back. Every town must have a place where phony hippies meet. Psychedelic dungeons popping up on every street. Go to San Francisco. Hotcha. First I'll buy some beads. And then perhaps a leather band to go around my head. Some feathers and bells and a book of Indian lore. I will ask the Chamber of Commerce how to get to Hate Street and smoke an awful lot of dope. I will wander around barefoot. I will have a psychedelic gleam in my eye at all times. I will love everyone. I will love the police as they kick the shit out of me on the street. I will sleep. I will go to a house. That's, that's what I will do. I will go to a house where there's a rock and roll band because the groups all live together. And I will join a rock and roll band. I will be their road manager. And I will stay there with them and I will get the crabs. But I won't care. Speaking of which, this week, the, the main event, and for those of you who probably have no idea what we're actually doing here, um, we're talking the 50th anniversary, sacre bleu, of uh, we're only in it for the money and lumpy gravy. We're a little late. Wow. At 50 Six. years. And um, Mick was not born yet when this uh, when these albums came out. <laughs> oh, well, I certainly was. What was the actual release dates of the two albums, Scott? I actually have them right here. Uh, We're Only in the Front of the Money came out on March 4th, 1968. And Lumpy Gravy was released on May 13th of 68. So we're we're a tiny bit late, but but they are 50 years old, these albums, which is amazing to me because... You know, this is really kind of stuff I think that could have been made now. You know, under certain circumstances. I mean, it still sounds as good to me as as uh, I'm sure they would have sounded in '68. Uh, so, and they're two of my favorite albums too, which was um, actually yeah. I wrote a book about the making of them called Discorporate, ladies and gentlemen. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, there was two there. It, it, those two records were the centerpiece for me for the original mothers and then uh, obviously roxy for the later period but uh yeah those two records just to me were everything with all the piano people and the and the the connections and the the continuity the creative uh conceptual continuity i mean it was all there yeah and you know i I discovered Zappa through uh, my, I don't know, I was eight or nine or something, way too young to be listening to Brown Shoes Don't Make. There I was. And uh, there was uh, my, my friend's older sisters were into the L.A. freak scene, and they were very adamant about not being into the San Francisco scene, really? but more into the darker sort of doors and Zappa and, and that kind of thing. And I, when I first heard Frank, it scared the shit out of me. I, it was too scary. It was just too much. Right. I could, I, well, I was eight. I well, was yeah, nine. that's true. It scared the hell out of me, you know. 
So I had to kind of walk away from that. <laughs> and then I came back after listening to, you know, I was into General Giant and groups like that that were doing this really creative stuff with marimbas. Mm-hmm. And then I heard, uh, and then I heard apostrophe. I became a Zappa fan immediately. I was 15, 16 years old. It was it just changed, you know. And I, oh, this is that guy that scared me when I was a kid. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, I could see why, you know, like as an eight or nine year old, you'd get scared of of some of the stuff that's on uh, oh. Money and Lumpy Gravy, definitely, and and those early albums, you know, Uncle Mead, all that early stuff. Because... Yeah, I didn't even get that far. I was too busy. I, I ran away after uh, Absolutely Free. I heard Who Are the Brain Boys, and it it scared me to the core. <laughs> you know? I was too young for those chord changes. You know? <laughs> Now I listen to them and they're beautiful. Yeah, gorgeous. You know how Frank always weaves these gorgeous things into this strange thing, but at the heart of it, he he writes some of the prettiest music I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, all that beautiful five over one stuff he does, just so pretty. I love it so much. I mean, it's uh, uh, George Duke actually said, you know, something to the effect of. If Frank had wanted to, he could have been, you know, a composer of gorgeous, like, pop pieces and all that stuff. But Frank just couldn't bring himself to not, you know, not mess with the the way you would, you know, like, put these songs together. So, I mean, if you think about it, you know, some of those, uh, um, even on Only In It For The Money, I mean, you know, if you take just the melody of something like let's make the water turn black it's a really nice like melody you know mick do you remember um encountering it probably wouldn't have been at the time but um we're only in it for the money and lumpy gravy yeah well i I do indeed i might even have told you the story before but i'll 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 tell it again anyway just that's why i was checking on the dates so we would generally get american albums a couple of months late They'd be released later in the UK in those days. Sure. Um, and you'd sometimes find American imports at a premium in record shops. So I, I remember I was I was 16, and I went into a, a record shop in a town in school, South End, which was about 20 miles from where we were living. But uh-huh. I used to uh-huh. go down there on the Saturdays because I was working in my mum and dad's restaurant, helping out behind the bar and stuff. So I went out to town, and I was looking to find out if we're only in it for the money was out yet heard about it mm-hmm. I, I knew that Zappa album coming and I went to this record shop and there in the import rack is this phase two of we're only in it for the money and yeah. I didn't even anything about it at all I had no idea what was coming what on earth is this mm-hmm. they still hadn't got we're only in it for the money and I just and I, I couldn't hear it in the shop I didn't have time I just looked at it and thought I've got to have this record but I hadn't got I hadn't got the money it was it was um Two pounds twelve shillings and sixpence, I think, or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, so I put it very deliberately at the back of the rack in the record shop, mm-hmm. and I, I went back. safekeeping. I got my I got yeah. my wages Monday morning, and I had to go, to go to school. I deliberately got on the wrong train, twenty miles down in the South End, and rushed into this record shop at half past nine. And amazingly enough. It was still there because Wow! And so I bought it with my wages and, and went back into school with it in there and pretended I'd accidentally got on the wrong train and sorry I was late and all this. 
So I, I'd got this strange record that nobody had heard of, but it was phase two of a record that we hadn't, hadn't actually been released, I don't think, yet. So then I went home that evening and put it on, and I was just like, what on earth is this? Because mm-hmm. I'd heard, you know, absolutely free. And so I just thought, whoa, there's some nice stuff in here. There's some really odd stuff. And, and I just thought, okay, this is difficult. I'm going to have to really learn to like this. Yeah. So I played it and played it until... I did get it, and, and it is now, and it still remains my absolute favourite Zappa album ever, the most defining one. It was the one I had to work the hardest to like, particularly in those days. Do it again, do it again. Almost Chinese, huh? <laughs> because I was making uh, $2.71 an hour. switching girls all the time because if I'm able to find a girl with really a groovy car that I can build up, man, I'll go steady with her for a while until I build up her car and blow up the engine. Um, and then We Own It For The Money came out later on, which I got, which I liked, but mm-hmm. it wasn't anywhere near as mind-blowing for me. I sort of appreciated the technology and everything. Sure. To me, it just seemed like a sort of, a, it was like a two-joke album. It was a piss-take of the hippies, mm-hmm. and a piss-take of 
Beatles, and apart from all the wonderful technical stuff, it, it didn't move me musically in the same way that Lumpy Gravy did. Lumpy Money must have, you know, your head must have exploded, Mac, when you heard all of the uh, primordial yeah. versions and uh, the sync traps and the, oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember <laughs> just being so taken with that. And I agree. I think if I have to pick one Zappa record, I have to pick two. Lumpy Gravy and then I have to go to Roxy, but those are two different periods. But Lumpy yeah. Gravy for the original uh, Mother's Vibe for me. Yeah. Did you, did you guys get the... Um, the record store day reissue of lump of the lumpy gravy sure did i have it right here which is wow and that's really interesting and it's and then the way they sort of changed the order of some of the tracks yeah that was the original album as frank yeah. put it together i mean i assume a lot of our audience will know this but um frank originally put this album uh, lumpy gravy together for uh capital records in 1967 and um because of a contractual dispute, or um, I don't know if it was an injunction or what it was that uh, was filed against Capital by MGM Verve, who Frank, of course, was under contract for, uh, to for uh, the Mothers of Invention work, uh, Capital couldn't release it. And so Frank decided to rework it and add in the piano people pieces that you hear and just change the whole thing around and yeah that's the original capital version mick that came out for record store day can i add something about the piano people that i've been uh, i've thought about oh, quite a lot Absolutely. Uh, when i hear the lyric to evelyn yeah to me it's just i don't know i mean maybe it's already been discussed but uh you know the panchromatic resonance and you're just looking well, yeah, the, the idea is gazing at the piano with something draped over the piano and yeah. in a darkened room. I just wonder if there was just a dog in there that was just like watching all this piano people thing happen. It sounds like he's talking about that in that film. It is. That's, that's a real bit of conceptual continuity there, isn't it, really? Very yeah. so. Draped across the piano with some surprise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, yeah. It always conjured up the image of whatever was going on when he decided to put something, put a big uh, drape over the piano and have people talk into it, you know? Yeah, it, you know, I I never thought about it like that, but it is entirely uh, possible that there was a, that Frank remembered a dog sitting there yeah, watching this happen. Yeah, to me, yeah. Well, it's not about Patricia the dog, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's another dog. No, it wasn't Patricia. Wilson or whatever, that guy's craziness. Yeah, that's right. Mr. Wadley, what was your initial experience of uh, We're Only In It For The Money and Lumpy Gravy? Well, that would be when it was released on CD together yeah, on Ryko Disc. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, like I said, I never knew of a time without Frank. Mm-hmm. The music was always played in my house. You know, Dad was always listening to it. But when I was real young, you know, I would listen to it. I would put on New York because I want to hear titties and beer and I'd invite friends over so we could hear <laughs> dirty words. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it was more like it was a joke type thing. I didn't take it serious. I didn't get the music because it was nothing like what I would hear on top 40 radio. Sure. I, I liked it, but I just knew it was so fucking weird. Mm-hmm. But when this came out on CD, my dad got it right away. And it was my first time hearing uh, either album. But we would drive around all the time hearing it. Now that was the '84 mixes, though on that. That's right. On that CD, right? So uh, you know, and it was real weird because getting ready to do this, I went and listened to that, and I hadn't heard that in years. 
the the eighty four mixes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I went when my dad was playing this. That's when I kind of decided I need to check this out more, you know, because I was like, just my my tastes were developing. I was getting into more weird shit, mm-hmm. and Zappa was, I mean, total, you know, the reason behind it. But when I, you know, started on my journey, I went to the seventy oh, stuff. Sure. And it took it took me a while going back to the mothers. It was kind of you know I wanted to hear the guitar shit. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. the mothers I went to later, and when I went back, of course by that time he had already put them back on CD with the original mixes. But I mean I used to listen to these all the time. But going back today and listening to Lumpy Money and and listening to those eighty fours, I was like, this doesn't even sound like the same record. No, you, it you know? Yeah. <laughs> but but when I first you know got back into the mothers, I was like, I knew all the songs, but. Man, listen to the 84. Now it stands out like a straight man in the Vatican. You know, it's like, yeah. like holy shit. You know, I, I was like, like, listen to that bass. Listen to those. I mean, it's like it was a different record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, you know, and then listen to the, the primordial version of, of Lumpy Gravy. Mm-hmm. To me, that's like a whole nother record because I was so used to uh, – you know the '84, and then later when he remastered sure. from the original source. Yeah, but now I I love them, I, especially Lumpy Gravy uh, is one I really uh, gravitate to, and I think it's it's so important because that's him stepping aside, you know, from the sure. mothers and doing his own thing. And what he did on that, you know, with with, with the soundscapes and everything, it's just yeah. you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. It sounds as fresh today. Yeah. You know, and it's important for him stepping out as you know he conducted it. You know, you know he, he didn't play on it. You know, but that shows Zappa needing to branch out. It's Zappa fighting with the record company. Surprise, surprise, to get the yeah. shit released. And uh, and and I love. I would have to say how the first three were only in it for the money is my least favorite. But that's like saying it's my least favorite orgasm. <laughs> uh, you know, I just. I, I, I gravitate towards uh, absolutely free and uh, and freak out, but they all make me come. Well, yeah, I thought it was interesting that uh, this cat, uh, Nick Vanette, who's Capitol Records, he he actually commissioned a a crank. You know, so it's like, who commissions a guy from a fucking rock band to do orchestral music? I mean, it was just a strange thing. It's like, here's 40 grand commissioning. It's like, it sounds like something that happens for back in the dead composer. Yeah. Back when the composers were dead. He worked right. with um. He worked with the Beach Boys, didn't he? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He did. I guess he was just all caught up in you know what people were really capable of. I mean, look at the mothers. Look at a guy like Frank Zappa and say, "All right, I'm going to commission him to do some orchestral music." Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, I wonder. You know, in a way, I mean, he had done arrangements for. Uh, people like the animals, and of course, he, you know, there's those orchestral arrangements that you can hear on "Freak Out" and "Absolutely Free." But right. you know, that was a big leap of faith, wasn't it, to contract yeah, him to do? Very much so. And, and I think Sid Sharp, there was another uh, conductor, was involved in that as well. I yep. think they uh, mixed it up a little bit, like he did with, uh, uh, you know, the cat from, uh, oh gosh, I forgot his name, the guy from the uh, from the uh, orange, the uh, yellow shark. Oh, uh, uh, sometimes uh, Peter would, Rundle? would conduct certain pieces that he needed to conduct. Yeah. Probably more the ones that were involved with hand signals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Peter Rundle, I think it was. was Peter it? Rundle, Peter that's Rundle. correct. Fine, fine. Fine. <laughs>
Frequently, when you see, you know, people ask Frank uh, what his favorite album was, I mean, most of the time he would say the next, but sometimes he would say Lumpy Gravy of his albums, you know. And um, you could see why, because, you know, although we we all kind of know that Frank came into being fully formed, pretty much, I mean, you know, you could... You know, you could listen to the Mount St. Mary's tape from 63 and hear that sure. the compositional insignia is all there. You know, everything is fully formed and fully evolved. But, um, yeah, you know, Lumpy Gravy was a statement of intent. That's why he kept coming back to it. I mean, you know, notably on Civilization Phase 3. And the Swan Song, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, said that it was his, his masterwork, didn't she? Yeah. You know, the problem with me and, and putting together lists, because one night I just said, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do my top 20 favorite Zap albums. So I put it out on Facebook, and then everybody said, well, where's this? Where's that? Where's that? Well, you know, again, it's like <laughs> like Ian said, you know, it's like uh, yeah. choosing your favorite orgasm. Well, you know, that's <laughs> a, with, with, with my radio show, there's always a Frank Zappa segment every week, and mm-hmm. I've turned so many people on to Frank, and I think it's important to expose people to frank's music sure. but i i get that question all the time like where do i start you know and it's like yeah. how how the hell you tell somebody you know i my easiest thing is like well what what are you into and and you know most of my show falls into the hard rock and sure. and metal genre so you know i i recommend you know that the 
more guitar-oriented albums. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like, you know, you really got to open your mind, and you can start anywhere yeah. with Zappa. And what I've found is I, I try to predict for people, you know, when they give me feedback, okay, what's your favorite bands, you know, what do you like, and I'll try to tell them something. Yeah. So I'll give it an album, but that never ends up being their favorite, you know. Like one kid, I, he told me what he listened to, okay, guitar-heavy stuff. Uh, you know, start him off with, with Zuda Lores. His mm-hmm. favorite now is Uncle Meat. So, you, you, yeah. I mean, you ne- <laughs> yeah, you never know where somebody, you know, yeah. there's so much stuff to know. be turned on to. Yeah. You never know, because my favorite album of all time is Thing Fish. Not really. No. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, no one ever says Thing Fish. <laughs> oh, you stole my Thing Fish joke. Oh. <laughs> oh, you mammy nun. I love a lot of thing fish though. Maybe not in its entirety, but there are pieces that I Evil Prince is Oh, oh Evil Prince is like one of the greatest, you know, Frank pieces I think ever. You know, it's just uh it's gorgeous. I was tell- I was telling you the other day, Scott, that yeah. I had detected uh the melody from Amnerica going on in the background on one of those pieces on uh on Thing Fish. And yeah. I never had noticed it before. And uh yeah. There's a connection. What did uh, Nigel Lennon once told me that Thingfish is two hours of concentrated hatred for everyone and everything? Right. right yeah. <laughs> you know, with this conceptual continuity thing, if I may, there was a one piece that I had listened to. You know, I'd listened to the Fillmore album a million times, and it took me like twenty years mm-hmm. to figure this out. And it's really, I, it was, it's an easy thing to figure out but i just didn't catch it was Juan buona dick when he's singing i've got nothing you need he's he's singing it so slow and operatic yeah. that you forget that it's the theme from lumpy grave it is <laughs> and i i don't know it i actually just discovered that not all that long ago myself and i just could not yeah. believe it i just discovered it now i hope i remember when i sober up Spattered fantasies.
Well, I'm finding all kinds of new stuff every day. Like, I, again, I was telling Scott, uh, you didn't try to call me, I think is the song. Mm -hmm. The Bridge, you make me feel so excited, girl. Mm -hmm. That part, mm -hmm. that's yeah. in Flambe. Is it really? Oh, that's right. You sure. can tell me that. Yeah, it's in it's the great section of Flambe, you know, chord for chord. It's, you know. So there's always new stuff to find out, you know. See, that's why we love this stuff, because you can never, you'll never no. get everything, you know. I never. mean, I, I don't even know how he managed to. Uh, they say, like, you know, one of the things, like, when Frank was sick and uh, doing some of his final interviews, he made more than a few references to J.R.R. Tolkien, who, right. as we know, created an entire world, you know, the whole Middle Earth universe basically and zappa's universe is actually kind of not that to say that he was directly influenced by tolkien i don't think he put the two <laughs> together until later but he uh you know it's kind of the same thing in a way you know it really is its own self-contained universe and you know with conceptual continuity being what it is uh, there's endless references to itself you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just it's just uh, amazing. Mick, when you heard the album, what was that? Six. It couldn't have been 68, could it? You're not that old. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> I wish I wish. Yeah, <laughs> 16 in July, 68. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, the minor thing as well. So, again, as well as getting the albums late in England, we'd sometimes get different versions. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, so my horror, long time after I bought it, I found out that, for example, Freak Out was actually a double album because they yeah. squeezed a single album in the UK and dropped a few tracks. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. And, yeah. and, they sent, and the version of We're Only It For The Money was censored in the UK, and I'm not sure what right. other So uh, I think, Harry, you're a beast. There's a little track yeah. piece in there. your fucking mouth about the length of my hair. I think yeah, and, and, yes. Various other things, and they were sort of censored and played backwards or whatever. So someone had actually sort of, I guess Frank or someone must have, someone must have cut a bit of tape and said, "Okay, here it is," and it's played backwards and things. So there's odd little things happening there. But the other thing I was wondering about as well, what Scott Fisher was just saying, the people who grew up on this on the CD versions, mm -hmm. I just wonder how many people then when they when they hear the sort of vinyl ones or the either the originals or the reissues, something go, "Oh, do they like it better?" Or do they think, "Oh, the." The right, well, a bit, bit lame. That's a great question. Well, like, well I, you know, as I say, all those John Patatucci blicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, could, I could say for one, you, you know, I, I liked it when I heard it. Uh, I fell in love with it though on the original mm -hmm. version. But mm -hmm. I'll never forget the first time, you know, when I bought it on on CD when you know the the it was like I guess the third or fourth mix or whatever. When I heard Harry, you're a beast. I'm like. Why is this shit fucking censored? Yeah. I go, it's remastered and now it's censored? This is bull. I was so mad. Mm -hmm. I was so mad. But now, you know, there's a certain charm in it, you know, but I still like, you know, I chuckled today when I heard the full, you know, don't come in me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, but, and there's but Lenny Bruce. Yeah. Lenny Bruce. There's yeah. No real, That's a Lenny there's Bruce. There's no real version out there where. To me, there, there would always be the best of both worlds where you took the 1984 uncensored uh, dialogue or, you know, uh, the the cursing and then but get the original band there from the original mixes and right. tie those two together. I don't think that there that exists. Yeah, I don't know if you could. Could you? I mean, you well, you probably I mean, if the 
if you're going to do it officially, you know, the I, I guess that the tape is is there and you could you could actually put that together, but it was Joe never could. issued that way. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, that's right. right. But, I, but I, I, I guess to fully answer his question, I, I liked the eighty four, but I fell in love with the original. That's where I really sure. got my uh, deeper appreciation. Hi, boys and girls. I'm Jimmy Carl Black, and I'm the Indian of the group. Concentration over the camp in the valley. Concentration first heard the album on um, that two for Ryko disc CD in 86 so I bought it at the same time as I got freak out so those that was my real introduction and um, yeah wow. I just fell in love with it I didn't really you know what's funny is I didn't hear the original versions of the tracks the original mix until um there are a couple of if you guys know what the cadillac extravaganza video is where um it's the video from 78 where um frank is um really upset with uh rudy dolezal who was who was interviewing him and uh part of the video team doro they were and he um you know he winds up doing this skit with him where he sticks him in the back of a he has him in the back of a, his Cadillac because Rudy is asking Frank, you know, because there's so many challenges to the American way of life, so-called, on We're Only In It For The Money and albums like that, that he 
thinks that Frank is a hypocrite for driving around in a Cadillac, basically. And so Frank puts Rudy in the back of his car, and then there's this whole big skit where, you know, Rudy doesn't want to leave the car, and Frank says, all right, now we're going to put you in a small, uncomfortable car. You'll really like it. And so um, <laughs> in the as part of the soundtrack to this video, they put in little bits of the original mix of We're Only In It For The Money. And I didn't know what that was because I didn't know when I first heard it in, what, 86, 87, that sure. there was an original mix of Lumpy Gravy. I had no idea. And it just sounded like weird versions of these songs. So it, it did take some getting used to. Scott, was that the first time you heard um, We're Only In It For The Money or did you hear the original mix first? No, it was it just like Ian said. The uh, I had that eighty four, the the two two for the price of one disc. Yep, they pair nicely. Although you know, like Mick Mick was saying, they're while they're so different, that you know they do pair nicely. And um, so to me, it was just kind of one big piece, right? And and not to mention how Frank even tied the two together with you know, is this just another phase of you know? So um, yeah. Sure. I've got something that hurts to ponder. Uh, you know, we've all seen Frank play the bicycle on uh, on Steve Allen. Mm-hmm. This was where he really showcased it. it. Was in the chrome-plated megaphone of destiny. You can hear some a lot of great bicycle stuff in there, and you can hear it. And it's like, yeah, there's the spokes, there's the thing. It's, yeah, it's right there. <laughs> you hear it. Yep. And uh, it, it took me a while to figure that out. You yeah. know. Had to watch the Steve Allen thing a few times. Went, where have I heard that sound? Oh, it's on a Zappa record. That's right. <laughs> of course. Thank <laughs> you. 
You know, that, like I said, the conceptual continuity is just all over the... It's in places that you don't expect. The Cucamonga sex tape is referenced in The Torture Never Stops. Right. You know, right. I so, mean, that's, you know, clearly what he is doing there. And and on, for, for that matter, on Freak Out. Because uh, of, yeah, on the monster magnet, whatever thing, yeah. Sure. And, yeah. You know, so, the, it just pops up everywhere, and... and um, yeah. San Bernardino, stashed away in Tank C. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's, right. yeah. That's, all, that's all connected there. Yep. I mean, you know, you could, you know, it, it's almost hard to pick out a place where he doesn't reference something yeah. else in the catalog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I loved, you know, obviously the way he just was weaving everything into Gregory Peckery with the Billy the Mountain, and oh my gosh, that was, mm-hmm. I just couldn't do anything but smile, you know, just you heard from the first time I heard Gregory Peckery, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, Gregory Perry being one of my favorite pieces by anybody, you know, it's just... Oh, it's definitely a high point. You know, I mean, it's a, it's an overused word, but, you know, and Frank was a freaking genius, you know, obviously, so, you know, it's a genius piece of music, you know, and nobody else could have written that piece of music, so... Not, not, not only does he stick a little Billy the Mountain, but he makes reference to the short forest, and he just, he yep. always throws little things in, you know, it's just great. Yeah. Love it always keeps your attention. There's somebody else in 
just remembering this now. Mm. Um, about the we're, we're only in for the money came out. Mm. We should go. Came out with the cover reversed because allegedly someone was worried that right. the Beatles management might be upset and whatever. Yeah. So there you have just the pictures of Frank and the guys in their dresses. Sure. Uh, my dad, when I brought this home, he was horrified at this. <laughs> was he really? <laughs> is this? What are these guys? And I wasn't, if it was the fact that they were wearing dresses, or yeah. the fact they were wearing dresses and they had beards, and they were <laughs> It just looked really subversive. And I think, actually, that would be a fairly typical reaction of, like, the older generation in the 60s. <laughs> My son's a bloody poofter. <laughs> <laughs> a weird poofter, because he's still got a beard. And, and what's going on? And it, it really did his head in. And I think it was a it was very shocking, generally, I think, to a lot of <laughs> older generation in England in 1968 and probably in America as well I guess. Sure. Was it was it the cover of Melody Maker that Frank was on in the dress in 67? I think it said meet a mother or something like that. Was that yes, maybe that right. same yes. photo session yes. maybe? That's right. Yep. It was, yeah. The little blue dress. Confrontational. Yeah. It was confrontational. Yeah, I, you know, my, my father was, uh, I had the, uh, one of the first things I had was the Does Humor Belong in Music video and from the pier in 84 and he you know he he did kind of although my father never laughed um in his life probably he uh <laughs> he, he enjoyed things like you know he's so gay and all that kind of stuff just because you know the sick humor element of it but he really couldn't deal with a lot of the um yeah music concrete pieces and all oh. that stuff and that yeah. there weren't things like lumpy grave he didn't know what it was you know <laughs> But for some reason, I just gravitated toward it. When I first heard Money and Lumpy Gravy on that CD that came out, I just was, I don't know why, I just, it was uh, as powerful to me as, I don't know, it was as powerful to me as, say, like Dark Side of the Moon or yeah. anything else that really spoke to me on that, like, yeah, you know, and um, yeah, I was, I was hooked. And Lumpy Gravy, you know, it, it's considered by some to be a difficult album. Or a target. Yeah. yeah it it, yeah. it act didn't sell a lot of copies, but you know, if if you want to know who Frank is or was as a composer, yeah. you know, it's all there. Well, we as far as copies go, we used to say something, yes, it went plywood actually. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and the other one was uh, oh, it's selling like hot cake. Singular. <laughs> 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 Sid, you have to get on the mic. Sid, why don't you get on this mic right here? Once more. That's okay. Can't take you any place. We're rolling, gentlemen. Unit 3A, take three.
we've talked about this on the show before, but you know, what was the state of Frank's hearing <laughs> down the, through the sure. years? Because some of those EQing uh, choices are highly questionable. But well, I'm going to point directly to the high end on the kick drums. My gosh, yeah, those kick drums were just like they, they, they were so high. There's so much high end, even on the uh, LSO stuff. Mm-hmm. He had you know the kick drum going underneath, but it sounded like a click almost it was you know yeah look at that look at that uh, money remix you can hear it all over that yeah that's that's chat yeah now we're getting walky yeah (laughs) (laughs) see only here on the zappa cast folks (laughs) but um oh i wanted to say too the censorship on we're only in it for the money this is what i was trying to remember before for those of you out there who are listening who um Sometimes you'll see discussions online about, you know, where can I get a completely uncensored, we're only in it for the money. And the truth is you can't apart from that 1984 remix because um, there was never a yeah. um, a 1968 uncensored version. The closest that there would was, be Mother Mania, right? Well, right? yes, the, those tracks are on Mother Mania too, but the closest that you can get was the original Canadian pressing that was made from a tape. Yeah, that was made from a tape that was supplied in error by uh, MGM. It was an early, um, you know, somewhat early assembly of the album before Frank did further editing to it because those edits that appear on the original um, U.S. version were made by Frank himself. Those were, um, you know, things that um, MG and Verve weren't comfortable with having on the album. And yeah. Frank did those edits himself. You know, I know he's he had inferred in interviews later that the record company did these things. It was actually on the original press. It was him. You know, he was responsible for the edits. But um, later, of course, as the, the famous story goes, um, he was collecting the Edison Award in, yeah. um, where is that, in Copenhagen or Amsterdam in 68. Mm-hmm. And um, in the background, while while they were, um, you know, he was accepting the award, they were playing a version of We're Only In It For The Money, the one that Mick heard that came out in Europe. And um, somebody had taken, basically taken a razor blade to the tape and hacked out things just in this kind of ridiculous fashion without any regard for the smoothness of the edit or anything like that. So you'd have things like, um, uh, I still remember mama with her apron and her pad feeding all the boys at Ed's cafe. That was just hacked out completely. Um, leaving this weird edit that isn't even on the beat, you know, it's just... Well, you can't be singing about tampons, for God's sake, you know. And and never flush one. (laughs) But that's not even what Frank was referring to. He was referring to... Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Yeah, of course. But that's what... Although that's not the case in in Flakes. That is not the case. (laughs) (laughs) All I know is Bob Hope never had to sing about tampons to to be good. (laughs) Uh, Bob Hope was... Yeah, don't get me started. I mean, my I, dad played guitar for Bing Crosby. I'm on the other. I'm in the other camp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll believe you when I tell you that my song is really true. I want everyone to listen and believe it's about some little people from a long time ago. And 
and all the things the neighbors didn't know. Early in the morning, Daddy Dinky went to work, selling lamps and chairs through San Bernardino squares. Ronnie helping Kenny, helping burn his boots away, and all the while on a shelf in the shed, Kenny's little creatures on display. Ronnie saves his newmies on a window in his room, a marvel to be seen. Dysentery green, while Kenny and his buddies had a game out in the back. Let's make the water turn black. We see them after school in a world of their own. To some it might seem creepy what they do. The neighbors on the right sat and watched them every night. I'll bet you'd do the same if they was you. Whizzing and pasting and hooting through the day. Ronnie helping Kenny, helping burn his boots away. All the while on a shelf in the shed, Kenny's little creatures on display. Ronnie's in the army now and Kenny's taking pills. Oh, how they yearn to see a bomber burn. Color flashing, thunder crashing, dynamite machine. Wait till the fire turns green. But yeah, the, Mick, was that the version you heard with all the um, yeah yeah the the uh, really bad editing job? That yeah, so it was it was. I mean, I know it was censored all over the world, but yeah, the, the UK version was really hacked about. But now now, now it's a collector's item. It is. Yeah, I, have, I, will, I, I will include copy. some tracks from that on the on the podcast so that people yeah. can hear what it is. Do you still have yeah. your copy? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, you do! Oh my God! <laughs> I still, I still have all my original Zappa vinyl. I'm glad to say, except uh, except for the single album Freak Out. I don't think I've still got that. Yeah. How but did it, they How did they cram that together into one disc? How did that work? They locked um, off some it, it was, of the tracks. Well, they, it was very long, and I can't remember. They dropped about two or three tracks. Oh, they must two or three of the shorter ones. Yeah, the the sound yeah. quality isn't that good, is it, Mick? Because the sides are pushing 30 minutes i think each. well yeah that's all like 25 minute sides or whatever 26 yeah yeah um Jeez. monster magnets on there but they didn't for some you'd have thought they would have if anything cut down on sort of i'm a rock and monster magnet but they're there in their entirety but <laughs> they just actually dropped some of the other tracks out yeah and and, only, and and of course the cover's all different as well it's just one you know, you well, know actually the, i'm going to tell the, you right now what's missing let's see yeah. There we go. Pull out my copy of this. We can edit this. Ne- needless, <laughs> ne- <laughs> needless to say, I have one. It's so funny. I'm looking at my CD. Mick is looking at his album. Uh, and you're looking yeah, at I'm just looking at <laughs> Anyway, the wind blows is missing. Yeah. Wow. Um, anyway, the wind blows is missing. Um, there's no you didn't try to. Or no, there is you didn't try to call How me. could I be such a fool? That's right. That's missing, too. Wow. I think they cropped up on Mother Mania. They did, yeah. Yeah, Go cry on somebody else's shoulder. Uh, How can I be such a fool anyway the wind blows? Yeah. Anyway, I'm just looking at my UK vinyl, we're only it for the money. I was just looking at the words. Yeah. And and so in the lyric for Harry, you're a beast, it's got mad, it's not merely physical, Harry, you're a beast, and then it actually says... Censored, 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 censored. <laughs> then, badge, I couldn't help it. I dug on it. <laughs> I wonder if all that stuff must be restored in the last vinyl version that they did of that. Let me pull that out here. 
Yeah. Um, because yeah. the where does it say? Let's see. Here's that the idiot bastard son. Boy, do I really need glasses. I'm looking at the uh, squinting at the uh, back cover of the new version of um, We're Only In It For The Money. Let's see. Which has, by the way, the cover is Frank Intended, folks. Has the uh, Sergeant yeah. Pepper parody on the outside. Although, truth be told, the, the original was also a Sergeant Pepper parody, of course. But, sure. Um, Harry or Beast? No, it's, it is actually here. So they did restore that. Right. Yeah, yeah those are uh, kind of... The ultimate versions of those albums, I'm I'm finding. So, you know, there's another plug for uh, for the vinyl reissues, folks. <laughs> and and the lyric still says here, I still remember Mama with her apron and her pad. That's what she had written on the Yeah, but it's not on the record, right? I believe that was one of the strangest pieces of censorship I've ever heard about. Yeah, yeah they they actually did. I mean, there's um. You know, like the original Canadian press has um, the Velvet Underground line, which which isn't shitty right. a group as Frank Zappa's group. And uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is it, it is as that. shitty as a group as Frank Zappa's group, right? It is as shitty a group as Frank Zappa's group. Tomorrow I get to do it. This is Frank Zappa. Creation. And the day after that, the day after that, also at the same time I get to work with the Velvet Underground. I thought it was an interesting choice to have Lou Reed at the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame tribute. Yeah, uh, I thought that was an interesting choice because I always saw them as that you know as, as sort of enemies. I don't know why. Well, kind just... of. I mean, you know, Lou hated absolutely hated uh, Frank. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's funny. I was watching a uh, for whatever reason. I was watching. A video on you know the acid tests that Ken Kesey did in the '60s, and I just have to see this like drummer standing up and playing the drums, you know. And at the show in the '60s, I was like, "Well, this isn't an acid test. It's obviously the Velvet Underground." There were a couple shots of the Velvets, so I asked um, Zane Kesey, who is Ken Kesey's uh, son, and I said, "Where are those shots from?" Because I had a feeling I knew where they were from. And he said, "Oh, that's the Fillmore. That's the Velvets opening for the Mothers." I said, would there happen to be any mother's footage? He said, not that I've found. So, mm. <laughs> so they probably just shot the Velvet Underground and said, well, who needs this Zappa? But then, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do. <laughs> God, I'd love to have a bootleg of that show. Uh, yeah, I would. Well, Frank apparently was saying, you know, like putting the Velvets down over the microphone and saying, these guys suck and all this other stuff. Uh, Mo Tucker told me that, the Velvet Underground drummer. As a result of that engagement, Lou and Sterling Morrison in particular really, really hated Frank. So I don't really know why they chose Lou to induct him, except that it was the Hall of Fame's choice. Yeah, I found it odd. Uh, you know, at least it wasn't Jackson Brown, you know, the way the fucking hall works. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a, but Frank liked the Velvets. He liked that first album. He, you know, it apparently All Tomorrow's Parties was his favorite Velvet Underground yeah. song. And well, they were no, they were no shags, but they were very good. They were no shag. Well, nobody's the shags. Hi, Rachel. Nobody. <laughs> the didn't didn't I hear somewhere that? That Frank did a really accurate impression of Nico singing as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was gas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But they were also on the same label, of course. They were both on MGM. And uh, they both had their problems with MGM, who probably really had no business putting out albums by either of those artists. They were just um, horribly incompetent label, right? That didn't pay their artists pretty much at all. <laughs> so. Both produced by Tom Wilson, of course. Position MGM yeah. years ago, and he used to call it uh, MGM and uh, the Mother Goose Motel is what he called it. Mother Goose Motel. <laughs> I think the thing is, though, that MGM, they probably personify, you've seen the Frank clip where he's talking about the the days when the record business was run by old guys with cigars who were right. saying, you know, what is this stuff? Put it out anyway. That's what MGM were like, I'm sure. And they just, they had Tom Wilson and Tom would say, I'm going to do the Velvet Underground, I'm going to do the, the Frank Zappa, and they just let him produce what he wanted. Well, yeah, it couldn't happen now. I mean, if you think about it, you know, in a way, for as semi sort of arguably incompetent as they were with things like promotion and distribution of the albums and all that stuff. In a way, Frank was lucky to have been able to make those albums in the way that he wanted to, if you think about it, because, you know, I don't think, for example, he could have made those albums for, let's say, Capital or um, one of those other labels. I mean, you know, I think you're right, Mick. I think it was, you know, the guys at MGM were like, well, what is this shit? I don't know what this shit is. Just put it out. Yeah. The kids will buy it. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, those were the days where you could get away with that. I mean, now you would yeah, never get a record deal. Yeah. But before Debbie ran the music industry. Before know? Debbie. That's right. Yeah. Debbie. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Debbie well, I don't know. Nowadays, nowadays you can literally just put out shit and kids will buy it. So. <laughs> yeah, it's and get off my lawn while you're at it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, here we go. The meeting of the old men. <laughs> Talk about uh, yeah. music. Is. Don't you boys know any nice songs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he used. To, he was such a good boy. Are we, are we all wearing rock and roll T-shirts, by the way? I am wearing my lucky gravy. Bunch of old guys sitting around in rock and roll T-shirts. <laughs> That's right.
money and lumpy gravy are just, I guess, you know, like my temptation, I don't know where I'd put it in my top 10 or because I want to put them both in my top five. But I always say that if some, you know, if I had to make a choice, I would say Uncle Meat's my favorite album, I guess, maybe. <laughs> Only yep. because there's more of it. And <laughs> But, you know, I'm I'm so tempted to put these two albums in the top five. But then what do you do with everything else, you know? It's it's kind of like um, they're probably not albums I don't think that I would recommend necessarily for new listeners. I'd probably... Mm-hmm. That's an interesting with... point. Where would you point a new listener? I guess you'd have to know what the new listener's musical taste is because yeah it plugs into all different things you know? well, like it goes back to what i said earlier about me pointing people in the 70s direction you know and then a kid ends up saying a month later he loves uncle meat it's so hard there's so much to digest yeah. here yeah when i quote unquote warn people about becoming zappa fans <laughs> yeah. i basically tell them you know this will uh take a nice part of your life so just be prepared because it's a endless <laughs> And there is no end, so yeah. you're stepping into you're stepping into the uh, to infinity here. So, you know, that's it. Once you fall into that, you know, you're never going to be able to get out of it. It's just that's going to eat yeah, up your life. The the guy, guy said like, there are no ex, there's no ex Frank Zappa fans. No, there yeah. are not. That's but, true. Yeah, there are not. If someone described it as um, quicksand music. There's a, <laughs> good. There's a few artists who like quicksand music, and you start. Mm-hmm. And it's them and maybe, I don't know, Sun Ra, maybe Miles Davis. Right. Yep. Oh, and you suddenly, oh, my God, there's 200 albums that I really have to have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you have to have all of them, you know. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say another interesting thing with Lumpy Gravy is that uh, talking about its bookend, that Civilization Phase 3. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All of a sudden, you got your piano people all came back. You throw in some new ones with a, a Michael Rapaport here. And, uh, you know, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And also, you get uh, when you hear uh, the piano people that you're used to, and all of a sudden the, the sentence continues, and you're like, Oh, you hear what they said after I uh, yeah. I dreamt I lived in a drum, and then they continue on, mm-hmm. you know. And here's a grave, and they're going on and on, but it's all, you know. You hear the rest of the envelops, the bathtub line, and just that was exciting. That was fun for me. Sure, uh, yeah. Although I had very because it was a posthumous thing, and it was, it, it, it made me happy and frightened and uh, sick all at the same time, you know. I think I can explain about. How the pig's music works. Well, this should be interesting. Remember that they make music with a very dense light. Yeah. Okay. And remember about the smoke standing still and how they they really get up tight when you try to move the smoke, right? Right. Yeah. I think the music in that dense light is probably what makes the smoke stand still. As soon as the pony's mane starts to get good in the back, any sort of motion, especially of a, a smoke or gas, begins to make the ends split. Well, don't the splitting ends change the density of the pony's music so it affects the density of the pig's music, which makes the smoke move, which upsets the pigs? No, it isn't like that. Well, what how it, does it work? Well, what it does is when it strikes any sort of energy field or solid object or even something that's ephemeral as smoke, the first thing it does is begins to inactivate 
the molecular motion so that it slows down and finally stops. That's where the smoke stops. And also, have you ever noticed how the, the smoke clouds shrink up? That's because the, the molecules come closer together. The cold light makes it get so small. This is really brittle smoke. And that's why the pigs don't want you to touch it. See, when the smoke gets that brittle, what happens when you try to move it is it disintegrates. And the pigs get uptight because you know they, they, they worship that smoke. They salute it every day. You know, we've got and, something. And, and, and that's the basis of all their nationalism. Like, if they can't salute the smoke every morning when they get up. Yeah, it's a vicious circle. You got it.
You know, Mick, I was going to ask you, Frank mm-hmm. played the Switchmaster, did he not? Gibson Switchmaster on most of uh, We're Only In It For The Money. He didn't really play on Lumpy Gravy, but that's the I, Switchmaster you, you hear on that album, I believe. I think I think so. I mean, it's very difficult to know what he was doing, but that would have been the guitar we would have had at that period, mostly mm-hmm. so. And that so. guitar still lives. Yes, indeed, yeah. And there'll be pictures of it in Zappa's gear. Yeah, What's happened to it over the years? Because, you know, basically Frank gutted it, didn't he? And replaced yep. everything. Yeah, he, he, he treated it totally brutally. Um, he got some. <laughs> he, he actually got. He's one of the guitars he gave to Rex Bogue to yeah. customize for him. And so they took out the the original Gibson humbuckers, which were mm-hmm. lost. Probably Rex sold them for rum or something. I have no idea. Uh. They vanished. And so they got replaced with Barkus Berry pickups. Mm-hmm. I've never known anybody but Frank ever used Barkus Berry pickups. They weren't a big commercial success. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, lot, lots of electronics in there, uh, a, a seismic earthquake piezo sensors in there, all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, there's a couple of extra sockets. Um, whole set of preamps, three extra preamps and so on, and they, the weasel could never figure it out. And and he cut a great big hole in the back. Put a great he big did? metal on it, get the stuff in. And oh. I later on... Spoke, what would have been the purpose of that, putting that hole in there? <laughs> so so you could get access to the electronics just by... Oh, I guess just to do that. So um, when we were over there, we, we spoke to John Carruthers, the, the guitar custom builder. Carruthers, wow. I've heard that yeah. He, he yeah. did some on that guitar as well mm-hmm. later on he, he replaced I think the preamps and so on and he said he was absolutely horrified that you know this this hole had been cut in it but um, yeah. you know he sort of said look you don't do that it's like building a ship in a bottle you just wheedle it through the hole and you can build it but yeah. apparently Frank wouldn't have any of it and um, I, I think even Rex Bogue you know one of Rex's guitar techs I spoke to as well said they you know, they said, "Do you really want us to cut this in there?" And Frank said, "Oh yeah, it'll make it easier to service on the road." And he didn't at all. But he yeah. Gibson, but, you know, Gibson only made about fifty in that particular Florentine cutaway thing, so trashed it. He did yeah. take the guitar out on the road. Um, I don't think he played it. You can see Ray White playing it on uh, the German "We Don't Mess Around" video. I think or Circus Crown. I forget which. That's one. the Switchmaster. It's it's there, yeah. Is it really? Oh, well. He took it out on tour with him, but only uh, Ray played it, I think. Well, it goes to show you what I know. <laughs> yeah. Somebody somebody said to me the other day, uh, you're like a, um, a Zappa encyclopedia. And I said, yeah, but the pages are falling out. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, my father, my father used to tell me, Michael, you know a lot, but you can't think of it. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. 
Evolved out of another project called Our Man and Nirvana, which right. uh, was the mo- right the mothers and Lenny Bruce, who had uh, right. passed away just before, um, well, passed away like about a year before, I guess, the sessions for the album started, sure. and it was just going to be tapes of, um, which I think were recorded at those Fillmore shows, is you know the same shows that the mothers did with. Um, Lenny, where uh, um, John Jugnick, who was uh, Lenny's roommate, recorded the mothers and Lenny Bruce, and it was going to be the mothers interspersed with Lenny. Um, Lenny Bruce died for our sins, folks. And um, yes, yes. <laughs> but there's still traces of Lenny on the album that don't come in me and me. That that's a Lenny Bruce routine, right? Absolutely. Am I remember yes, right? Remembering like Dustin Hoffman in the Lenny Bruce movie, he actually does that routine. Yes, he does. Yes. But don't come in me. Don't come in me. Don't come in me, 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 Don't come in me, 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 me. Don't come in me. Don't come in me, me, me. Don't come in me, me, me. And I didn't realize it until I saw it in that movie, and I was just like, oh, it's... Harry, your beast. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not even heard it, but there was, there was a straight, straight records released an album, a Lenny mm-hmm. Bruce album. That was at the Berkeley concert, I think. Yeah, Frank. Well, Frank put out the Berkeley concert on. Yeah. Uh, right, he produced that. Uh, yeah. Bizarre, yeah. Didn't uh, he do some stuff with Lord Buckley as well? If I remember he did, correctly, yeah. most yeah. immaculately hip aristocrat. Yeah, that was on. That's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, those were those were tapes that he licensed also and was able to put out. So, you know that connection between Frank and Lenny Bruce. I mean, for Lenny Bruce is an enormous influence on Frank. Oh yeah. You know, and and a lot of other right thinking people of that time. So it would have been, yeah. you know, it would have been nice to uh, to have had that on. But as far as I can tell, it never really got off the ground. It was like a holy trinity of, you know, thorns in the side of society, you know, with Zappa and Bruce and... Uh, sure. I maybe, or now maybe we have too much of it. I don't know. <laughs> 
And that's our show, folks. But before we go, I'll give you the rundown of the music that you heard in this episode of the ZappaCast. We heard Sync Trap, an unreleased single A-side, also available on the Lumpy Money Project Object and Lumpy Gravy Primordial LP. Who Needs the Peace Corps from the mono mix of We're Only In It For The Money, also available on the Lumpy Money Project Object CD. Lumpy Gravy Excerpt, the 1984 overdubbed remix from the Old Masters Box One Sampler LP, also available on the Lumpy Money Project Object CD. Flower Punk from the 1984 overdubbed remix from the Old Masters Box One and the 1986 Ryko Disc 2 first CD of We're Only In It For The Money and Lumpy Gravy. It's also available on the Lumpy Money Project Object. Wanna Dick. Excerpt from the 2012 remastered CD of Fillmore East, June 1971. And the theme from Lumpy Gravy at the original speed taken from the Lumpy Money Project object. Concentration Moon, the heavily censored version from the first UK pressing of We're Only In It For The Money. The chrome-plated megaphone of Destiny from the mono mix of We're Only In It For The Money. It's also available on the Lumpy Money Project object. Unit A, Take 3, from the Lumpy Money Project Object. Let's Make the Water Turn Black, the heavily censored version from the UK pressing of We're Only In It For The Money. Concentration Moon, an excerpt of the uncensored version of the track from the original Canadian LP pressing of We're Only In It For The Money. The Idiot Bastard Son, from the Mother Mania album. How the Pigs Music Works and Christmas Values from the Civilization Phase 3 album. Mother People from the Mother Mania album with the uncensored verse. And finally, Let's Make the Water Turn Black, the instrumental version from the Lumpy Gravy album. Thanks for listening, folks, and we will be back soon with an exciting new show for you. You won't have to wait long for this one. And that's our show. The ZappaCast was produced and edited by Scott Parker. Production assistance by Joe Travers and Melanie Starks. This podcast and all of the musical selections contained therein are copyrighted worldwide by the Zappa Family Trust. All rights reserved. Big thanks to Ahmed Zappa and all at Zappa.com. On behalf of the ZappaCast team, this is Scott Parker saying thank you for listening. And until next time, good night, boys and girls. It's been lovely working for you this evening. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.